1: Today's Pod Save the World is about a major investigation that could bring down a divisive head of state. Prosecutors are investigating dirty politics, bribery, fraud, and breach of trust. The investigation is spilled out into the press and is highly partisan. Some call it fake news. One lawmaker even called the prosecutor's office a stable that's full of crap. Others have called for resignations on both sides. I am, of course, talking about Israel and the corruption investigations swirling around Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu. The story is more bizarre than you think. The implications are huge and the parallels to what is happening in the U.S., President Trump are everywhere. Stick with me on this one. It is worth it. The interview is coming now. My guest today on Pod Save the World is Natan Gutman. He's the Washington Bureau Chief of The Forward. Uh, He joined the staff there in 2006 after serving for five years as a Washington correspondent for the Israeli dailies Haaretz and the Jerusalem Post. Natan, thank you so much for being here on Pod Save the World. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you today about Prime Minister Netanyahu and what the hell is going on in Israel Uh, But I was sort of hoping we could start with the facts because there are so many stories swirling out about corruption allegations around the prime minister that it is actually hard for me to keep track. So I was hoping maybe we could start by quickly walking through them one by one. The first is referred to in the news as Case 1000. It involves Netanyahu receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gifts like champagne and jewelry from a wealthy businessman. What happened there? What are the implications?
2: Right. Yeah, the the Israeli police made things easier for us because they they just numbered each one of the cases. So we have 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. So the first one is 1,000. That may be the easiest case um, to understand. For about 10 years, Bibi Netanyahu and his wife, uh, Sarah, Received gifts from a Hollywood producer named Arnon Milchin. Uh, he's pretty well known in Hollywood. He mm-hmm. produced films like uh, Pretty Woman. And he's a former Israeli uh, who spends most of his time in the United States and is very close to, to Netanyahu and to other Israeli leaders. And apparently, uh, the Netanyahus have a liking for the better kind of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Sarah Netanyahu likes pink champagne, uh, Bibi Netanyahu likes expensive cigars. That we are. And it's hard to get by with that. With a, with a government salary, it's hard to come across of these things. And so um, they reached out to Arnon Milchin and it started off as gifts, but it became a whole industry. And according to the police, by the end of, of these 10 years, it reached a value of about $300,000 of gifts that wow. uh, Milchin gave the Netanyahu's. And it's t- even hard to call it gifts because they asked for it. They, they, they would mm. just let him know or let the driver know when they needed more champagne or cigars. And there was also jewelry in there. So that's the Netanyahu side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what did Milchin get in return? Allegedly, we should say. This is even more complicated because Arnold Milchin is a, a film producer But he also kind of moonlighted as an Israeli agent, helping out Israel with its nuclear program, um, getting all kind of clandestine information. And uh, um, he was kind of helping out the uh, Israelis. uh, But the problem is that he couldn't keep his mouth shut. Mm -hmm. And when he talked about it in interviews... American immigration authorities looked into it and when it was time to renew his visa, they said, well, we're not really sure that we want to give this guy a visa because this is what he's doing in the United States. And so he lost his his visa to the United States. And that's where Bibi Netanyahu's friend, could help by speaking to American officials, mm-hmm. even as high as Secretary Kerry wow. and the American ambassador in Israel. So that's one of the things. There are also other business uh, issues that uh, Bibi Netanyahu tried to help Milchin out with, like uh, a tax break if he comes back to Israel uh, so he won't have to pay taxes on all the fortune that uh, he, he made in America um, and other issues like that.
1: Wow. So that's even more shocking than I thought. Case 2000 – uh, alleged that Netanyahu tried to strike a deal with Israel's second largest newspaper to get more favorable coverage. What happened there? What's the quid pro quo uh, in this
2: instance? So for Bibi Netanyahu, it's simple. He wants to get good press. Doesn't everyone want to get good press? Right. And Yidyota Hunot is the largest paper, the most influential newspaper in Israel. And their line, while they're centrist in a political sense, They don't really like Netanyahu. So they were pretty critical of him, and he wanted to correct that situation. Um, He had something to give Yidiota HaKonot because Yediot HaKonot is facing its own problem um, since there is a competitor. The competitor is called Israel Hayom. It's a right-wing pro-BB newspaper, and it's funded fully by Sheldon Adelson, who you know well, the Mm -hmm. famous uh, Las Vegas uh, um, Republican megadonor. So here's the deal that was discussed and conveniently even recorded by one of the participants who who later gave these recordings to the police. Basically, Netanyahu told uh, the publisher of Yedioth Ahronot, Noni Moses, he came to him and said, "You know, I can talk to Sheldon Adelson, the owner of Yisrael Hayom, and make sure that he limits the circulation of his paper." Should mention by the way that Yisrael Hayom is circulated for free. That's mm-hmm. why it's such a strong newspaper. Now, what if I get Sheldon to limit the the circulation of Israel Hayom and help your business? Would I get in return better coverage? To which Noni Moses re- replied, sure, of course, we, we can cut a deal like that. Now, these talks never led to a deal for one reason or another, but basically there were enough for the police to recommend uh, um, charging Netanyahu and Moses, the publisher, on bribery charges. My God. And then, so
1: confusingly, there's another case where Netanyahu's aides are accused of trading favorable treatment of a big telecom company for favorable treatment from its news website. That's distinct, right? Is, is this one also a problem for Bibi?
2: Oh, definitely it is. So so now we're, we're leaping to case 4,000. Oh my let's, God, sorry. Let, let's leave 3,000 on the side for a second. Great. It has to do with submarines and it's very exciting. <laughs> um, 4,000, has to do with uh, um, Bibi Netanyahu, um, again, wanting to receive better coverage from a very popular news website in Israel called Walla. And uh, um, it is owned by a wealthy businessman named Shaul Alovich, who is um, also the owner of Bezek, Israel's largest telecommunications company. In this case, 4,000, which is still under investigation, we didn't see uh, police recommendations on this case uh, as of now, Again, Alovich uh, needed all kinds of regulatory benefits from the government. Netanyahu, who conveniently is not only the prime minister, but also the minister of communications, he insisted on holding that portfolio, it was in a position to give him these uh, regulatory breaks that would help uh, his, his business uh, immensely. And in return, Walla became this very pro-Netanyahu, and even more important, very pro sar Netanyahu website, At one point, this recording came out. And again, as you can already see, everything in Israel apparently is recorded. Mm -hmm. This recording came out of Sarah Netanyahu, the prime minister's wife, screaming at a media consultant because she didn't like the type of coverage she was getting in Walla. And her problem was or her issue was that they forgot to mention there that she is a psychologist with a master's degree.
1: Okay. That's confusing.
2: So and we should note that this case is still under investigation. Right, and as of um, this week, the police investigators managed to flip one of Bibi's highest-ranking aides, who was also the director general of the communications ministry, mm-hmm. and a person considered very close to Netanyahu. He is now cooperating, and according at least to press reports in Israel, he knows everything about what Bibi did and is willing to talk. So what's case three thousand then? Submarines? Case 3000. Yeah. I hope you're keeping track, right? <laughs> I Case, am. Case 3000 has to do with submarines. And it's very complicated and it probably won't lead to an indictment. But in short, it has to do with the question, how many submarines does Israel need? Netanyahu apparently overruled the the decision of the military and decided that Israel should purchase more submarines as it did, and uh, it purchases them from a shipyard in Germany. thing is that the person um, brokering this deal is Netanyahu's personal lawyer who is also a relative of him, Mm -hmm. which raises the question, does Israel really need all these submarines or is Netanyahu pushing for this deal because his lawyer and relative is getting a cut off off this deal? This, again, is under investigation. Mm -hmm. Most people think this will, will not end in an indictment.
1: And then on top of all of this, Netanyahu's wife, who you mentioned earlier, is being questioned by Israeli police over allegations that she's been using public funds for private expenses and compounding that problem. Former Netanyahu family advisor allegedly passed a message to the prosecutor in that case suggesting that she dropped the charges against Mrs. Netanyahu in exchange for being named attorney general. So that also sounds like a pretty big deal.
2: Right. Uh, and part of the reasons that we're hearing all these cases come out now is because there is a sense in Israel that uh, Netanyahu is vulnerable right now. Mm -hmm. So all kind of uh, um, aides and people who were involved uh, and people who knew him for years but were afraid to talk are now coming out with these stories. So the story about uh, um, this quid pro quo that that you mentioned, uh, um, let's dismiss the Sarah Netanyahu cases and in return we'll appoint you attorney general, this happened already two years ago, but we're only learning about it now.
1: Wow. Okay. So that is a lot of corruption, uh, or at least allegations of corruption for alleged a system. To, yes, alleged corruption for a system to process at one time. But it's it's hardly the first corruption scandal in Israel, right? 2008, Prime Minister Olmert resigned a week after police recommended he be charged with fraud, bribery, obstruction of justice. He later served, I think, 16 months in prison. Uh, Netanyahu himself dealt with corruption allegations back in the late 90s. Does this mean that Israelis are more prepared for these types of allegations? I mean, what is the response like in Israel to what people are reading?
2: I think the the response basically uh, breaks down along party lines. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it has to do a lot with the fact that these investigations are going on for a few years already and that Netanyahu has been working to, in a sense, discredit uh, uh, the investigations, discredit the police, discredit the attorney general, in order to make the case that this is all a political witch hunt. And mm-hmm. everything that I say from now now on, you can replace Netanyahu for Trump, it sounds yeah. exactly the same. Right. So basically, um, he's saying, you know, they couldn't beat me at the ballots. I'm prime minister, almost the longest serving prime minister Israel ever had. I just won my fourth election. And since they can't beat me fair and square, they're going after all these Tiny things, insignificant matters, whether I got a cigar or didn't get a cigar, whether I did this guy a favor or not. So basically, it it breaks down along party lines. If you're a supporter of Netanyahu, a supporter of the Likud, you're willing to buy that story. Otherwise, Israelis are kind of shocked, kind of disgusted by the information that's coming out and how severe it is. Public opinion polls show that uh, Israelis don't believe Netanyahu on this case, However, politically, he somehow seems to still be pretty strong.
3: As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love made-in cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust made-in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson,
0: and I use made-in cookware. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, Hotels.com here. Tired of living like a sardine? We know a hotel where you can enjoy the open ocean. Book hotels with ocean views in the Hotels.com app. Find your perfect somewhere.
1: You mentioned Sheldon Adelson earlier. You wrote a piece recently saying that it didn't go unnoticed in Israel that Adelson hasn't come out and publicly supported Netanyahu since uh, the Israeli police made this announcement earlier in the month. Can you talk a little bit more about Sheldon Adelson? What's his influence like in Israel? And and do you think this is a sign that Netanyahu is in bigger trouble this time than in the past?
2: Well, I think, first of all, Sheldon Adelson is in a difficult position right now with Bibi Netanyahu. Because on the one hand, he likes Netanyahu. He supported him. He definitely believes in his ideology. On the other hand, Netanyahu basically took Adelson for granted and and tried to use him as a bargaining chip against the other newspaper without even telling uh, Sheldon Adelson. So definitely um, Adelson is hurt by uh, Bibi Netanyahu's behavior, behavior, and and, and rightly so. How influential is he? In Israel, we have a different uh, um, campaign financing system. So the idea that a big donors have direct influence doesn't really um, matter that much in the Israeli political system because um, we're not talking about uh, multi-million dollar campaigns and everything is regulated. However, Adelson, mainly through uh, this newspaper that he started, uh, managed to be uh, Bibi Netanyahu's biggest supporter because that was the way to the Israeli public uh, um, by owning the Israel's, one of Israel's largest newspapers, daily newspapers, and by making sure that its editorial line is very pro-Netanyahu, he became a very valuable asset for Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure that will continue now. There's a lot of talk about Adelson looking beyond Bibi. He understands uh, – he either wants Bibi to leave or understands that he's not going to be there forever. And he's looking for some other political figure that he can support probably right wing leader Naftali Bennett.
1: Right. Another BB ally who has had a little friction with him lately is Donald Trump. The White House publicly and, and pretty harshly rebuked Netanyahu's claim that he had discussed a plan to annex the West Bank uh, with the White House. What is that plan? Why is this important? And why was the subsequent rebuke so significant in this case?
2: Well, to understand that, we have to look at at Bibi Netanyahu's coalition right now. In Israel, of course, um, after you win the election, it's a parliamentary system. You have to build your own coalition. And even if Netanyahu has 30 uh, seats with the Likud, he still needs another 31 seats to get a majority. The current coalition of Netanyahu um, goes to the right. He's probably the most centrist figure in it. Everyone else is to the right of him. And in order to satisfy this coalition, Netanyahu has to give them some red meat once in a while. And this is a pro-settler coalition what they would like to see is to use what they understand as an opportunity now, a unique opportunity because um, the White House is occupied by someone who either doesn't care about the settlements or believes the, the Likud's position, Israel's position on it, and may be more open for some type of annexation, partial or complete annexation of uh, the West Bank. And, and that's why the right-wing partners in Netanyahu's coalition are, are pushing for that. Now, Netanyahu is is in this balancing act. On the one hand, he wants to satisfy them. On the other hand, he understands that he can't push the Americans too far. And he probably miscalculated with this uh, statement. He was trying to, to, in a way, appease his partners by telling them, OK, I I spoke to the Americans and kind of hinted that uh, the Trump administration is open to this idea of partial annexation. And that was a bit too much even for the Trump White House. And that's why we saw this public Mm -hmm. rebuke.
1: So you you talked about how Israel is a different system, their parliamentary system. That means there are more immediate and different ways of holding leaders accountable, right? I mean, can you talk a little bit about how the Israeli government works and is formed? And do you think it's significant that you're starting to see members of Netanyahu's party, the Likud, call for him to step aside? And you're seeing leaders of more centrist parties calling for no-confidence votes and, and, and other measures?
2: Of course, in a coalition system, especially with a, a multi party system like it is in Israel, where in Netanyahu's coalition is, is built up of seven different factions, each one of them can decide at a certain point to break off. And since he has a very small majority, he will basically lose his majority. There'll be a vote of no confidence, and he will lose the premiership in Israel, will go to general elections. So members of the coalition always have this ability to to hold the prime minister accountable and to try to exert whatever uh, benefits they can for their party from him. That's why we can see in small parties like uh, ultra-Orthodox parties that have maybe only five or six seats, but they do have the power to leverage their standing there by threatening to leave the government Mm -hmm. if they don't get their specific uh, needs answered. And that's what we're seeing right now. So Netanyahu's smaller problem right now is the police investigation and the possibility that maybe a year from now he will end up in jail. That may or may not happen. What could happen before that is that his coalition partners will say, "Well, enough is enough. We we can't sit in the government with someone who is basically tainting us by by actually being partners with him." Um, this crossed a red line, and therefore we're we're leaving the government or forcing him to resign. Aim and go to new elections. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're not seeing any direct call that way, but it could happen. It could happen if we learn more damning information about these cases. It could happen once the attorney general who is now reviewing these recommendations will actually go ahead and indict Netanyahu, at least on cases 1,000 and 2,000. And it could also happen if any one of the coalition partners decide, decides that maybe now is an opportune time to go to elections because they have a chance of improving their standing. Any one of these scenarios can lead to elections.
1: Right. I mean, a
2: million lifetimes
1: ago, before the 2016 election, <laughs> um, there were serious concerns that Donald Trump would question the legitimacy of our entire electoral system and and not accept defeat. In hindsight, that is too ironic to even handle. But you know, you're seeing similar reports coming out of Israel now. There are concerns that Netanyahu will attack lawmakers, question the system, and sort of burn the place to the ground rather than go quietly. Are those fears grounded in fact, or is this just alarmist reporting?
2: I think a lot of it is alarmist, but clearly there is an attempt by Netanyahu at least to question the the honesty, the integrity of the law enforcement system. In Israel, these types of investigations are carried out by the police. He's already laying the ground for questioning the attorney general once he makes a decision. So definitely, he's not going to leave quietly. He's not going to go out in a peaceful way. In a sense, like Ehud Olmert, who you mentioned, did. And by the time all this is over, We may have a very politicized legal system and law enforcement system in Israel because Netanyahu will basically be saying to his supporters, you should believe me, not the attorney general. Believe me, not the police. Don't trust them. They're biased against me. Interesting thing is, of course, that he himself appointed the attorney general and the chief of police, and both of them were considered very pro-Netanyahu appointments when he chose them. But apparently even they have um, their own integrity to think of. And and that's why he's facing this situation right now.
0: Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Super Deck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms and of course get 30 percent off all of our other colors shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood sherwin-williams store click the banner to learn more retail sales only some exclusions apply see store for details
3: Just go to NetSuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's NetSuite.com slash podcast25.
1: The parallels to what's happening in the U.S. are striking. I mean, you have these ongoing investigations. You have the polarization and partisanship uh, sort of infecting all levels of how it's reported, the way we're attacking prosecutors. Is that because the systems are alike or do you think that's because Bibi was Trump before Trump was Trump?
2: I think it has to do with the personalities of, of the two leaders that are similar in a certain way and in the way they understand um, their ability to manipulate the public opinion and the media. I think both of them kind of tapped into this idea that turning everything into personal will help them out in the long run. They believe that they have a... a a strong core uh, support base that will be with them if they'll only give them the right messaging and if giving them the right messaging means discrediting in democratic institutions, so be it. And that's why we see it all the time. It's also very similar in the techniques we use. We see Netanyahu now more active on Twitter and on Facebook. He's basically ignoring the media and putting out daily statements, daily video statements on on Facebook, reaching beyond the heads of the media, which is very similar to what Donald Trump is doing.
1: Hey, everyone's learning from Trump. If Netanyahu resigns or if he's forced out, what comes next? I mean, you mentioned Naftali Bennett, who is far right. Uh, and hearing names like that worries me. Uh, I mean, I feel like since I've been involved in politics, the Israeli government has slowly but consistently shifted to the right. Is that a fair characterization? What do you think the future is for for the next government?
2: Oh, for sure, there's a shift to the right. Um, there are a few scenarios. First of all, if Netanyahu does step down or, or is forced to, to step down, uh, the Likud has to elect a new leader, Right now, the two names that come to mind are are Israel Katz, who is a minister of transportation, very popular within the Likud, but really not anyone who the word charisma can be tied to in any way. Mm -hmm. The other candidate would probably be Gidon Saar, who used to be a, a minister. He's a rival of Netanyahu. Considered slightly more to the right of him. He's right now uh, outside politics, but he's for sure making – or thinking about uh, making his comeback. That's the Likud itself and the Likud will run for elections. They run against uh, um, opposition from the right led by people like Naftali Bennett. Maybe a Victor Lieberman, the minister of defense, who is also to the right of Netanyahu, will also try to kind of consolidate his power, maybe it get all the right wing behind him. These two figures are definitely pro-settler, definitely question the, the two-state solution mm-hmm. and clearly will not uh, take any action if they get elected prime minister, clearly will not take any action in, to, to advance a peace process. On the other hand, there's also the centrist uh, bloc, uh, which is right now led by Yair Lapid. He's young. He's very popular. Public opinion polls show that he's very he's running very strong right now, almost as strong as as the, the Likud. And he might be the, the surprise of the next elections. Maybe he can take over. What does Yair Lapid believe in? Uh, he believes in clean government. He believes in being nice to everyone. He's very centrist probably not the type of knight in shiny armor that the peaceniks of the area are waiting for, although he is seen as pragmatic or, or mm-hmm. someone at least that there'll be a possibility to work with him for Middle East peace. And of course, there's always the Labour Party and the left, but they're in continuous decline for a year. So it's hard to see how they bounce back in the next election. So I think your basic observation is right. Israel is sliding to the right it can continuously. So if anyone thinks that Netanyahu's trouble somehow um, spells a new hope for the peace process, they're probably wrong because Netanyahu's replacement will likely be someone from the right, right or from the very skeptical center.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the the peace process is on life support. After the Trump administration decided to move the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, President Abbas, the, the pre- Palestinian president, declared that the Oslo Accords are dead, he said that the Palestinians won't accept the U.S. as a mediator. Uh, Saab Erekat recently told Nikki Haley to shut up. I mean, things are devolved. Do you think the prospects for a peace deal with this government or with the next government are next to zero? I mean, how is this looking? Is Jared Kusher going to save us?
2: Well, uh, maybe his last chance. Uh, It's interesting that we have a a U.S. administration now that still hasn't expressed its support for a two-state solution. Now, supposedly Jared Kushner and uh, Jason Greenblatt are working on a new peace plan and it may be rolled out very soon. It's kind of hard to see how that will work out. You'll need a leap of faith to believe that they can launch a peace plan while the Palestinians aren't even sitting to the table with the Americans and discussing issues with them. But there could be a peace plan or there could be some ideas put out there. And then will Israel, will the Palestinians agree to them? The few details that were leaked about this peace plan seem to indicate that it's a non-starter for the Palestinians yep. as it is. So yep. that's not going anywhere. And Netanyahu himself is in a coalition, like we mentioned before, is in a in a coalition situation where he doesn't have a lot of flexibility to make concessions. Uh, um, can he freeze building in the West Bank? It's hard to see it done in this coalition. It was even hard for him back in the Obama years when his coalition was more comfortable with these kinds of moves. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to see. However, there is this sliver of chance in which Netanyahu, maybe facing indictments, maybe facing the end of his political career, will want to leave as the leader who really made a historic change in Israel and will really be willing to go for this. He has nothing to lose. There are those who believe that this could be his final hurrah. Right now, we're not there.
1: Yeah. I'll knock on wood for that. The the other major issue in the backdrop here is Iran. It seems like things are escalating. You know, the Israelis shot down uh, an Iranian drone, an Israeli jet was then shot down by Syrian defense forces. Are tensions ratcheting up there or do you think that was sort of a one-off military incursion and strike?
2: Well, I think, I think tensions are ratcheting up. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Iran – now, you can put aside, aside the whole debate over the Iranian nuclear deal. Israelis and Netanyahu still think it's an awful uh, um, deal. So does the current administration. Previous administration thought otherwise. Europeans support it. Let's put the nuclear issue on the side for a second. There is on the ground this uh, move by the Iranians to expand, expand uh, on the one hand, of course, uh, to Yemen, but on the side that Israel is concerned about uh, into Syria or what used to be Syria, into this, uh, um, this land that is now divided into so yeah. many fighting forces in, where, in which uh, Iran is playing a major role. And that is a source of concern for Israel, a real source of concern. Because previously, Iran had its influence by supporting Hezbollah in Lebanon, by supplying them with uh, rockets, with the uh, missiles that can attack Israel, by giving them financial aid. That was a source of concern at the time. But now it's 10 times worse because Iran actually has military bases in Syria in areas that it can attack Israel. Now, what we saw a week and a half ago was – was a drone uh, that that flew towards Israel. It could be a rocket or a missile or a a fighter jet one day. And Israelis are are concerned about that. I think Israel would also want to make sure that at this point now, before Syria, the the situation in Syria settles down, before all sides actually withdraw to their own lines in in this, what could be one day a post-war Syria, Israel wants to make sure that Iran is pushed out or pushed as far back as possible. And that's why we'll be seeing more of these issues as time goes by.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Natan Gutman, thank you so much for being on the show. I learned a lot today. Boy, does it seem like Prime Minister Netanyahu is in trouble, but uh, he has 13, 14 lives maybe. Uh, He survived a bunch of scandals before, so we shall see.
2: Definitely, and he'll be here in the White House in the beginning of March, and I'm sure he'll be accepted warmly.
1: Yes. Oh, lucky us. Lucky Washington, D.C. to be graced by uh, BB's presence. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, Natan. Appreciate you doing the show.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening
1: to Pod Save the World. Thank you, Natan, for joining me today. If you like the show, please rate and review us in the iTunes store. I have a really hard time saying that every week. A list bit for some reason. And share the episode with your friends. I appreciate it a lot, and have a great week.